Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of, the podcast, where we explore the struggles of life, the challenges of mental health and recovery, and the spaces between. We express our personal views on life here, and this podcast is not meant to replace medical advice or tell anyone the right way to live. This podcast is best used as a place of curiosity and questioning to accompany you on your journey. Be aware there is strong language. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Jason. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Dave. Hello. Hi. Hey, we're uh, we're going to talk about near enemies. We invited Dave on to teach us because we don't know as much as he does. Um, <laughs> Not sure about that, but, but we'll yeah, see. So, so I, I heard about this idea, near enemies. I was reading a book, um, Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. <clears throat> she was talking about where she was struggling and all this stuff with connection and all this, and she came ac- upon the Buddhist idea of near enemies. Um, And then she expounds on it further and takes it in a different direction, talking about these kind of quiet enemies of connection. Um, But I loved the idea of near enemies, and it made me think this is something really important because it's something that hides in plain sight, right? I think uh, the little bit I understood was these near enemies are things that on the surface kind of look very, very similar to valued behavior you know what i mean or 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 high moral behavior i guess but then there's they're coming from this other place inside and i guess how would we know that if we didn't know what to look for to know what's missing so that's why i think i wanted to talk about it i wanted to see where these near enemies are keeping me from a happier life Uh, so i'll turn it over to you dave okay turn it over to me my name is dave Dahl. my dharma name is Ryoman. Um, I'm a person in long-term recovery, and I'm also a Zen Buddhist priest. I have a meditation group that's locally here in, uh, it's a local group in Cecil County um, called Empty Circle Meditation. Um, We meet every Sunday at 3 p.m. at Impact Martial Arts. Our website is down right now, but our Facebook page is up and running. Um, Just want to make sure I got that in here right now so people can maybe, you know, if they want to come and learn meditation the Zen way, um, come see us. So Jason came to me with uh, near enemies as a subject. And I was like, okay, I've heard this. I, I don't know a lot about this. Uh, I'm not an expert at this. And I'm like, so near enemies, this is making me think of the four immeasurables, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with. In Zen, we don't, I don't want to. I don't want to speak for all of Zen. I've been d- doing Zen formally for eleven years, maybe a little bit longer than that, and I have never really heard a talk just on these. And I've listened to a hmm. lot of talks. I've seen a lot of talks. I've uh, done a fair amount of reading, um, you know, especially for like the first six years of Zen. I'm I'm in my car listening to talks. I'm at home listening <laughs> to talks. I'm in the Zen center listening to talks. I mean, I c- accumulated a lot, and I, I don't recall hearing these emphasized in Zen. And I was speaking with another friend of mine, um, a a priest from my old Sangha. Her name is Rakugo. And and she, she's, she kind of agreed. She's like, I don't really hear these much in Zen. Mm. Um, So I took that as a a learning opportunity when you presented that. And I was like, okay, let's dive in. Let's get into this, see what these are about. Um, So Jason and I were talking, it sounds like he's got, a list of some near enemies and you're maybe 
coming from a Brene Brown perspective of this? Yeah, this isn't. So I, I'm not actually sure if these are all Buddhist principle near enemies or if this was a list that somebody took some like some study of Buddhist near enemy principles and then kind of created some other ones. Um, but I, I like this idea of thinking through that there's these behaviors that are real similar in look and yet feel very different for the person receiving them. I guess just because I'm seeing this so much in my life. Yeah. You know, people are giving me love, but it don't feel like love. And like, where's the where's the missing piece there? What's going wrong? And I think this puts a lot of explanation on it. In the world right now, too. And yeah. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe yeah. we won't. I don't know. <laughs> maybe do we want to get there? <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, so... Uh, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed and other people have too, that psychology and therapy uh, for a while now has uh, taken or gained a lot from Buddhist practice, mm -hmm. which I think is wonderful. I think it's amazing for two practices to, you know, use each other and kind of blend like that. Um, so from a Buddhist perspective, the way I see these, well, from a Buddhist perspective, the way I see these. From what I have seen in a Buddhist respect perspective, um, the near enemies are and far enemies are typically um, be behaviors that are the opposite of the four immeasurables. Okay. Four immeasurables, also known as Brahma Viharas, mm -hmm. um, or some people tr even translate these in a more modern way to sublime social attitudes. Hmm. They're actually pre-Buddhist. Okay. Um, Buddha taught them, uh, Buddha, from what I could tell, was pretty cool about stuff though. He, he would admit it. Like I didn't make these up. I got these from yoga school or whatever. Right. Um, and I, but I think they're good and I'm going to teach them. Is this also known as hard practices? The I don't Brahma know. I don't know. Okay. Of course, some people will say, well, the, it was the people that taught it before was just a reincarnation of Buddha. It was a pre, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't think the Buddha said that, so <laughs> it's okay. So the four immeasurables are loving kindness, mm -hmm. or you could say goodwill, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Mm -hmm. So the near enemies, I think it's a very important thing to look at. And we do look at it in Zen. We just... Typically, where I have been, don't use this kind of system for it I gotcha. as much. So, um, a near enemy for loving kindness. Well, let's define these first. Yeah. That? Well, and and actually, can we? Uh, so, these four immeasurables. Um, while I know very little about Buddhism itself, uh, in my mind, these are coming across as like the four most important ways of being in the world or the four things that if you live this way, make a meaningful life. Like is, the, do they have a, a necessarily a definition behind them of what they're supposed to encapsulate or these will not result in full enlightenment. Okay. Um, they won't, but they're kind of, they are a prerequisite. Ah, okay. So it's way like, to look at them. This is how we got to lay the ground floor environment first. Yeah. This is how we relate to ourselves and others. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it appears that many, most, uh, vast majority, uh, from what I could tell, schools start with loving kindness. Okay. Uh, then I'll turn this on its head in a little bit. Let's then. So loving kindness. Uh, I'm taking, I'm paraphrasing some 
definitions from Domio Burke. She's a teacher, Zen teacher and priest, who's got a really great podcast called Zen Studies Podcast. And she has a way of just defining things, speaking about Buddhism in a very plain, easy to understand way. She's got a lot of different episodes about a lot of different subjects. If there's a subject you're interest, interested in, she's worth looking at um, in her podcast. So I'm kind of paraphrasing. I liked her definitions so that they were nice and plain and kind of easy to understand. Loving kindness or goodwill, an active sense of goodwill towards beings, including oneself, or sincerely wishing for their welfare and happiness. Hmm. Compassion, number two, happens... When someone with goodwill witnesses suffering. Also, the word compassion comes from the Latin word compassio, meaning to suffer with. Sympathetic joy happens when someone with goodwill witnesses joy and good fortune. The ability to notice when someone is experiencing joy. Equanimity, the last one, a measure of objectivity the ability to maintain a larger perspective or the ability to manage one's emotions for the benefit of all. What am I doing with my own body and mind? Hmm. So those could each be a podcast in themselves, oh, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> right. Yes. So we could, <clears throat> most schools start with loving kindness, I've heard it said that if you don't start with loving kindness, how are you going to do the rest? Hmm. Makes sense. Disagree with that. Really? So from the definitions you just gave, I would say it makes sense. It does make sense. And uh, I don't disagree with it's a great place to start. And for many, it may be the place to start. Okay. I don't think that's where you have to start. Gotcha. Can I throw in? So that that's where I started. So when I started looking into Buddhism, which was... Well, it was refuge recovery, then recovery dharma. But then also, I guess I was following more the insight, like the Jack Cornfield Tara Brock. And um, it was loving kindness was my like intro to Buddhist practice. And um, and by the way, I was thinking about it. I yeah, They do call them the heart practices in that sector. So they lump them under wise intention, at least in the recovery dharma book. So, um, well, the rest of the planet calls them Brahma Viharas, though. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. Well, what, <laughs> I would don't you, know. what would you pick as the starting point? Not loving kindness, you would pick? Equanimity. Hmm. And I know some other Zen folks that agree with that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Sangha I spent 10 years in, I believe the teaching would have been that if we worked with these specifically. That's so, the hardest one, I think, of the four. Why equanimity? What makes you think that's the place to start? I'm curious. Well, in Zen, for one thing, this is a whole lot of thinking. Okay. I've been thinking, using these near enemies, equanimity, you know, all Mm -hmm. this stuff. This is a whole lot of words and it's a whole lot of thinking. So thinking about a problem doesn't always solve the problem. Agreed. (laughs) It's if you're thinking created the problem, you're thinking might probably not uh, is going to solve the problem. At least not if you're thinking with the same part. I agree with that. Right, so the ability to gain that larger perspective, step outside of yourself, the egoic mind. Uh, and in Zen, a lot of practices will start compassion, compassion, compassion. Not that Zen doesn't do compassion. We do compassion, for sure. But if we can see the truth, mm-hmm. if we can see the big picture, if we can 
get outside of just our small mind, we tend to believe that these will come. Mm. They will come easier. Okay. They will come better. Uh, they will happen uh, when I have that larger perspective. Okay, because I was thinking when you said uh, equanimity, I was thinking love and kindness feels like my path to equanimity personally. Um, but you're saying that maybe from a Zen, it feels more like from seeing the truth, equanimity becomes the only thing that makes sense, maybe? I don't know if it's the only thing that makes sense. Well, see, so what we're doing right now is we're using a lot of right, words right. to describe things that <laughs> really we're dumbing down huge mm -hmm. th things like the universe you know what we are the vastness of being <laughs> into these words for right, transmission right. got this so, right. <laughs> right and we're on a podcast so we're going to use words we're not just yeah, stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. uh, i just want to make sure that you, this is Everybody hard just it, think of the perfect podcast and that's what we just did <laughs> yeah well you know they, i i could see how they would I guess, dumb it down for people who are in recovery because thinking is not our strength when we're coming out of addiction. So maybe starting with the easier thing, like first you got to love yourself, loving kindness, love yourself enough to get to the next one, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, I think equanimity is a tough concept and then practice. But if I had a foundation of love and compassion for myself i could then go to the next level i feel like my biggest problem that kept me from getting to any of this positive stuff in my life was and this is very personal for me this isn't every human's uh journey but like mine was i couldn't see my worth for equanimity so i didn't want I didn't see the need for anybody else or for me to take actions that would get closer to that for anyone else because I thought it was all achievement based, I guess at that time. And like I needed loving kindness for me before I could get to any equanimity. And that's just my personal sure. one, you know, completely fine. Yeah. yeah. We're not saying that that's oh, yeah, not yeah, the yeah. path. No, I got you. Just, we don't want to limit our everyone to that. I remember, yeah. When I was first in recovery, I had, I call him my first Zen teacher. Uh, he knew a lot about Buddhism. He knew a lot about Christianity. He knew a lot about recovery. He knew a lot about everything. His, his name is Woody Curry. And he started the Baltimore station in, in Baltimore. Uh, it's, that's a whole thing. This program is amazing. Man was amazing. He's gone now. He died in 2016. But he was harsh people but in this caring way this his compassion could be a smile and a metaphorical hug or his compassion could be a stick mm. metaphorically that's what i think uh, about zen in general yes <laughs> and <laughs> what he used to the first thing he would do with people when they would go to his treatment center is you gotta sit still for 30 days mm. you're not doing anything maybe you go to the drugstore once to get some toothpaste or something right. that's about it um, you're sitting still and if you go to him with all Woody, Woody, you know, I, 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 I think that, and he goes, stop right there. That's your problem. You thought hmm. <laughs> he would just shut you down for like 30 days, shut you down. Um, wherever you think, whatever big idea you're going to have. Oh, so now you got the answers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, just pulling the rug out of under you. It's something that we do in Zen a lot. So this is where the near and far enemies are really important to look at. Because 
it's if we can undo those these four immeasurables can happen naturally right our true nature is these four immeasurables mm -hmm. if i can relax the 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 ego mind you said yeah. that you thought it was all achievement based i didn't know right. exactly in what context but the fact that you said that you thought it was all achievement based right. all right one thing right. right right that's that's a very small mind right there and so yeah. when we can relax that or grip on that and really see and experience ourselves the way we really are which is much bigger than that small mind these are our true nature right here these just happen i say the same exact thing but with the nervous system our yeah. nervous system is in some level of dysregulation all day, every day long, I believe, at this point in 2024. At least most of us. I mean, if we're meditating or practicing, we have some calm moments, right? But <clears throat> this level of dysregulation limits our ability to talk to our prefrontal cortex, which is all our human thinking, all our time, planning, scheduling, drive, reward, future, past. It shuts all that off, and it takes us back into this lizard brain loop of gloom and doom, and we can't get out of that. And it's always negative and there's never a win at any fork we come to in the road. It's just two bad choices. And like my take is if we can just get to that calm place more often throughout our day and lengthier periods of, of checking in with ourselves, of being present, these things happen naturally. We start to love and care for more people because we have the space to. We're, we're higher up that hierarchy of needs, you know. Same, same idea. Same thing happening. We need to calm down, whether it's the brain, the body, both. We need to calm down. And this shit is human nature, I believe, too. We're not that bad guy that's going to rob you or steal your food. We're the people who help each other at every turn when bad shit happens. Well, like you said, give space. And we have the space for it. Yeah. I think that's very important. That's equanimity. Yeah. Um, hmm. So Maybe I did get there first, then. <laughs> but see, now we're just using our small mind to to list it out and the, where's the map to get yeah. there and, and you know, relax that too. Right. Relax all of it. Um, so, so I'm curious, I know we haven't exactly got to the, the far enemies or the near enemies yet, but in Zen, when they're not so heavily focused on having to think through or necessarily label or see these in action, what is the practice you do to avoid falling into the near or far enemies? Is it just like a, a feel? Is it a truth that happens? Like, how do you know to avoid them without thinking about them? I'd say if I had to categorize maybe two ways, there's a humility <laughs> side, okay. which a lot of times I need to be humbled by a teacher, mm. right? Uh, the rug being pulled out of under me. Yeah, the universe does that to me. You know, a bit. Uh, <laughs> I think... I, I'm attached to an idea, and even if it may be, quote, the or seem like a right idea, a lot of people might agree with it, there's still that attachment to that idea. Mm. So attachment to have to the, the rug pulled out of under you constantly to undo or attachment to that small mind, which we need that small relative mind. We do. We don't need to just live there. Huh. And meditation. So a good teacher who will do that, pull a rug out under you and support you, and then meditation, a lot of meditation. And so how does that work in meditation for me? So I could share an experience I had two retreats ago. Uh, this is actual visualization of what was happening at times during this meditation. So 
I do shikantaza now, which is just sitting. Uh, I spent 10 years uh, doing koan practice, uh, which is kind of, there's two Zen meditation practices. There might, you might be able to describe more, but two go-to ones. One is koans, which are sort of these problems, these situations that work on you and they, they undo, you go over them over and over and over again. They don't seem to make sense. You try to make sense of them and you can't, and it just breaks that mind. And then you're kind of forced to relax and see the big picture. Mm -hmm. Then there's Shikantaza, which Shikantaza is just sitting. That's it. Like focus on your breath. No. Koans. No. Hold on to anything. No. Uh, just sitting, which is pretty challenging, extremely hard. Uh, Shigantaza would even say that there's koans are even holding on to something, although koans are a really important practice. And they're, they're very beneficial. So during two retreats ago, I was doing my first full retreat of just Shigantaza. And it was sitting 14 hours a day, hour long, well, 50 minutes set. Uh, sits with 10 minutes of slow walking mm. so that's 55 zero for 14 of them um and it was great it took me 19 hours to have the that stuff undone mm. i didn't plan it that way it just was happening i was sitting there i'm more accustomed to doing koans i'm working on koan I'm working on koan repeating it now i'm just sitting which i've done just sitting but now i'm really just sitting and the best way for me to describe it was there's this big dumpster filled with negative attachment thoughts. And there's this little man who was just taking each thought out and just throwing it at my face. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And so I'm just sitting there not moving. And I, I've sat, I've meditated long enough to know what's happening. Right. Just to be there with it. Don't, don't go down a path with any of these thoughts. Don't grab onto them. Just let them come. Boom, boom. This little man's just throwing thoughts at me, smacking me in the face. And I was like, well, how long is this going to go on? <laughs> you know? All right, don't even ask that. Just sit. All right, just sitting. And um, after 19 hours, 19 hours of that, it was a lot. Uh, a lot came up, some emotions, uh, some strong feelings. Um, you know, the dumps are emptied. And the little man just kind of sat down. <laughs> just, just, I have a bit, kind of a visual mind, so that's just the way I, I can describe things. And then he just sat down, and the, the trash can was empty now. Mm-hmm. So for the next three and a half days, I just sat there. That's it. I do walking. Uh, a neighbor had lent me his house, which is this beautiful house on the water with like a stone patio out there, and I was just me in the house. I was doing it online with my sangha because uh, right now I'm practicing um, with Sanchin which is in Indiana, so it's hard for me to get there. Mm. But uh, although I'm going there this spring, I'm excited for that. But this time I wasn't able to, so I was just doing that, and I just walk outside empty. The trash can is empty. (laughs) Nothing's getting in the way. And it was just able to be in that for the rest of the retreat. Mm. So that's another way. And when when that trash is empty, it's going to fill back up. We know that. I mean, it's... Probably two-thirds full right now, at least. (laughs) But for those moments, things like these four immeasurables come very easily. It's just natural. It's a natural reflex, it seems like. Mm -hmm. 
your the interconnectedness that you realize just being outside feeling the wind on your skin seeing the there's a bamboo forest there too which is kind of interesting doing zen there's a bamboo forest swaying in the wind <laughs> you know there's nothing getting in the way mm-hmm. of that so working with the things that get in the way can lead to these four immeasurables naturally expressing so the things that get in the way could be the they are the far enemies and the near enemies I think the far enemies were were mostly good at pointing that as a society. They're obvious. You know, yeah, yeah. They they look yucky. They look like mean people or bad people or the the evil people we were told we were going to find in the world. Yeah. So what is the far enemy of loving kindness? Ill will. Ill will. We're all familiar with that, I think. Yeah. Wanting harm to come to others in mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form. Guilty. Definitely yes. have done this many, many times. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it can be a, a reflex for sure. Yeah. Uh, especially when we're harmed. Mm. When somebody's com- causing harm. Right? But sometimes we want to like give it back to them. You know, we want to get them. Right. They need to get theirs. Yeah. Let's let's try to take control. Let's not let the karmic you know, consequences happen naturally. Let's make sure that we play that game with them and uh, not only try to harm them, but cause maximum harm to ourselves in the process. And and look, when I'm being hurt by somebody, that makes real good logical sense to me. <laughs> you know, from a calm place like this morning, talking it through with you guys, we're in a safe place. There's nothing harming me or hurting me right this moment. I don't want that for anybody. I want people to learn the lesson that it takes for them to wake up and feel joy in their life, not to be hurt more. Like I get that they're not in a good spot when they're acting like that because I'm not in a good spot when I'm acting like that. I just don't have that in that, that moment. That's the problem. So to see that. Yeah. Sometimes we need to sit with ourselves to really take a look at what's going on. Yeah. Or we need somebody, a sponsor, a teacher, a friend, or an enemy, you know, mm, to anybody to help us see that. It's it's hard to point out to people too, because they're so. When our nervous system is that dysregulated, we're in defense mode already. So, like to come and tell somebody, uh, this doesn't feel appropriate, or like maybe you're being mean, or maybe you want to take a look at yourself. It's hard to find the right words that can break through that that grip the dysregulation has on them. Um, I've been trying to work with this doesn't feel like you because then it's not a negative, right? It's just, Hey, this doesn't seem like the normal, happy, nice person you are <laughs> like, and that seems to, to not be as offensive to people. I think, so I don't know. Just a little tip there. Ill will is so glorified too, which, mm. you know, and I'm thinking about your teacher who said, you got to sit, you got to, you can't even go out for toothpaste for 30 days because it's like, having an opposite an enemy is like what you're told everywhere mm. like you're not taught like that you're all one you're not taught that you're taught like black and white you're taught you know this is uh right and wrong there's so yeah ill will is like the reaction because that's what you've been trained i feel like there's a lot of portrayals of it in in media 
right? Like when I think about like what's popular, like mobster mm-hmm. movies or oh, it's so gang easy. movies yeah. or that's the easy way out. You know, it's always the retribution or Game of Thrones. It was all about these mm-hmm. warring houses and how to get back at people in the evilest, most devious ways. And like, I just as a as an individual, when I watch those, I mean, I think about the I don't know who's watched Game of Thrones, but like the Red Wedding episode, right? Or it's this big betrayal and like people die over it, basically, like. It fucking hurts me in the pit of my stomach deeply to see things like that, even knowing that's a, a Hollywood thing, right? Like, so that disturbs me at a human level, I feel like, at an animal level. And I don't think any of us are different than that. I think it disturbs all of us unless we're in that place where we're hurt, you know? That's exactly why I didn't watch Game of Thrones. Oh, like, yeah. Me too. I yeah, wish exactly. I had skipped it, honestly. Yeah, my husband would watch hurts. it, and I'd walk in the room, and somebody was, like, getting their privates chopped oh off God. or, like, raped or whatever. I'm like, Jesus. this is yeah. not for me. I know. My <laughs> wife got like me to that. watch That's it. on I, um, television. I know, but... Um, it's like the devil. My wife <laughs> sold me on that for as connection. She was like, come, connect with me. Watch uh, this show with me. She lured me in to watch uh, that. <laughs> People are have a bite of this apple. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> this apple's so juicy. Come well, connect. you know what you're saying? is storytelling, it's like it's like a shortcut when there's like an automatic mm. enemy. It's like a shortcut for storytelling. Like it's like the melodrama, like the evil, uh, the guy with the twisty mustache who tied the woman down to the railroad track. Mm-hmm. Like it's so easy yeah, to know yeah. who's good and bad here. Like that's like a shortcut in storytelling stories that are much more complicated. It's like you, you know, you have to like maneuver through tough feelings. What was that cartoon dude's name? Dastardly. Um, <laughs> you know, what I'm talking about from like the fifties and sixties. Um, he was in like the laugh Olympics. Oh god! Damn I can it. picture the imagery, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to the back to the near enemies, yeah, and far enemies. The whole revenge thing. Mm-hmm. I had a friend just get off of a retreat in California, Zen, and it was a really important retreat for him. He was held as the teacher or the facilitator of that retreat. It's a step in growth as a student. And afterwards, he's like, he said, "I just want to watch a movie. Uh, have you seen this movie? You know." And I'm like. Dude, yeah, dude, you just got off of this Zen retreat. You did all this work. This is just uh, the first half of it is one way. You know, it's like it was a Viking movie or something. And first half of it looks cultural and it's interesting. I was like, the second half is just revenge. <laughs> it's just, he goes, oh, I'm so tired of those. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so tired of the revenge stories too. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's just exhausting at this point. Mm. Um, so near enemy. Mm. So, oh, well, obvious. Yeah, we can Fairly, spot that. Very, yeah. Easy to spot. So, near enemy of loving kindness or goodwill could be uh, self-centeredness. Hmm. Could be uh, sentimentality is one that I picked up. Near enemy of loving kindness. Yeah, what do you have on your list? This one doesn't have loving kindness. I don't think it has the immeasurables. It goes into like virtues. I saw compassion on there. Compassion is on here. It's got pity as its near enemy. That's a a big one there. For kindness, it has niceness, which I thought was kind of interesting. Niceness as the near enemy? Yeah. I, I wonder, I'm feeling that's kind of like the sentimentality. This yeah. person would. No, 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 I could see that. Right. right. Say this more. Is... Why, why is niceness like that? I, I just, I can see that. Like when I read that, when I look at kindness in the virtue category and niceness as the near enemy, I think of times when I have witnessed either being a part of or a bystander, somebody doing the nice thing for somebody else in a situation, right? And I picture like 
60 or 70 year old white ladies who are just doing the right thing. Not necessarily because they give a fuck about the person, but just because it's the way you're supposed to be. And in the background, they're probably resentful about having to do it. With that shitty smile. Right. Why don't we just uh, do this? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I picture. (laughs) Why don't we just move over here? It's okay. Sometimes (laughs) I wonder, though, if niceness is all they can muster. You know, like. Well, it is from that place. Sometimes from me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, you know, it's just a fraction of what loving kindness could be. I guess the, the sincerity Here's, behind it is what yes, matters. Yes, because in my mind, niceness comes from a place of I need to be this way to look a certain way to other people. It's a mm-hmm. form of control. Okay. It's a form of mm-hmm. I need to be seen this way in the world. It's not a form of I care about you and I want to help. It's not I authentic. See. Right. It's yeah. totally self-centered. So when you've been instructed, be nice, you know, that's not, that's, yeah. that's the near enemy. Kill them with kindness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If that's the best you can do, that sometimes maybe that's just what you need to yeah, do. Absolutely. But know what you're doing. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first teacher, uh, Shuzen Roshi, used to always say, it's okay to be deluded. Just know that you are. You know, you're not going to not be deluded to some degree. You right. kind of need to be to navigate this world that we live in. You know, Navigate the delusion. Yeah. Uh, but just know that you are. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I guess I'm picturing somebody new in recovery. They come in. They're like, man, I really need help. Um, Somebody that is in a position where they've got some years, they're established, they have the financial ability to help this person. Maybe they can pay for a month in a recovery house or something like that person has the ability to be kind. Right. Whereas somebody else might say, oh, my God, this newcomer needs help. If I don't help them, I'm a piece of shit. Now I'm coming from niceness or, or this inauthentic version of helping, I guess, is the main point. Maybe that's what it is. It's just an inauthentic version you of loving kindness. You were shamed into it. Yeah. It doesn't feel like an option. It feels like an obligation. And I got to monitor and control how people see me in the world or even how I see me in the world. Mm. I might be the one bashing me that night if I don't help that person. <laughs> so, you know, with a daughter, I have a daughter with disabilities and I have seen people be nice you know, they don't really like they're like, oh, well, you know, better include her because that's, Ooh. you know, like we, we got to make sure we have the girl with Down syndrome here. Mm. And it's not coming from a place of sincerity. They're doing it to look good um, or because they feel like they should. But they're not interested in being her friend. And you can see it. And even River with the disability can see it. She knows when she's being like uh I don't know what the word, placated, you know, I was thinking placated, but yeah. And she knows, and they don't think she's smart enough because she has a delay in processing, but she knows. I think you just hit a perfect example of where most of us humans, cause I definitely have that when I run encounter people who have disabilities, I don't always know the proper way. Like you see somebody in a wheelchair and you're around them for the day. Do you offer to push them or is that rude? Like, I don't know all the right ways to be kind. And I think I'm getting better at just asking, right? Obviously. Like, how can you know? It's it's this individual. I can just fucking ask them what they would like. But, yeah, I have shown up a lot of times around people with disabilities with this fear inside of, oh, fuck, I'm going to be that offensive person from being nice instead of doing the actual, you know, connecting behavior. Wow, that's a good example in my mind. I don't know. Maybe other people don't struggle with that. I feel lucky that I've had that experience with River. Because I mean, my whole life, or her whole life, rather, because I am able to see 
uh, the world from a different way. I didn't know someone with disabilities before I had my daughter. And so now I have this extra insight thanks to her. You know, it's helped me grow. I think a lot of parents of disabilities will say the same thing. We're like, oh, I never saw the world this way, and now I'm grateful for it. Makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that bothers me about near enemies, and this is like the opposite of how I think I'm supposed to use them. (laughs) But like, I want to use them to be able to show and help people, hey, you're in the wrong spot there. You're missing. And like, I don't think it's going to work that way for me if I try that. So how, like, actually do the near enemy? Like No, like, actually telling people. Like, no. I, I feel like the problem is the near enemies look close enough that if you try to call it out and say that doesn't really, you're not really being kind to people doing that. Uh, it's a big argument. I think we need to. I think I think that if, if more people don't start, so especially, specifically with pity. Right. Pity is a near enemy of compassion. It looks like compassion on a surface level a lot, you know, being doing, you're still doing the nice thing, right? right? But where is it coming from? It's coming from a place of arrogance, Mm. right? And I think it's a, right now I'm seeing it as one of the biggest problems in our society. Hmm. Really? I mean, you have everything from TikTok kids going to someone, you know, homeless person, someone experiencing homelessness and you know, having this conversation with them and kind of baiting them and then giving them like a stack of money, you know, and yeah, it, it, that's just awful. Mm-hmm. It's fucking and weird. I've seen that. I'm like, what is this? And so that on that level, and then you have, which I'm not sure how we want to deep down, we want to go down this route, but then we've got not seeing groups of people as capable, mm-hmm. right? As truly capable in a way that, is true and serves them. And, you know, you could look at a savior complex, hmm. whatever the savior complex might be, whether it's, it could be race, it could be religion, it could be uh, economic. The world right? police. Hmm? <laughs> the world police. Yeah, right, right. So you know, I, I, I need to pull you out of problems. I'm up here lowering my hand to mm-hmm. help you up. Mm-hmm. No, it, 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 and what's that? That has created so much division, so much division. I mean, on, on a global level, the first thing that popped in my mind is we in our country will label other countries third world countries, right? Hmm. This demeaning term to look down upon them. And yet if you go to the third world country, I'm not saying there's not crime, there's not things going on, there's not maybe a, a, somebody terrible running the country or whatever, but like... If you look in these pockets of like hunter gatherer people, these third world uncivilized savages, 20 people a day help them with their newborn babies. Nobody's homeless because they just build them a house. Like, who's really living this, this judgmental life here? You know, it's just interesting. I was watching something on Aboriginal people and. Uh, it seemed like a very respectable documentary, so I'm not trying to spread, spread misinformation, right, but right. this is a very respectable documentary. And they're, they're so. This group of Aboriginal people in Australia, they hunt like four hours a day and they dance the rest of the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they dance for like the next eight and like mm. do wonderful things with their community. And they're so good at hunting that they can go out for like half the day and get what, all that they need. And then the rest of the time, they're just in community. That reminds me of a different But we need to help them. 
we need to help them. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was another documentary, and I don't remember all the specifics. It's been so many years. But basically, a guy went to South America to to preach Jesus to one of these unfound tribes and, like, found out that they don't have any words for the past or the future and, like, everything is in the present and, like, he decided he needed what they had instead of them needing Jesus at the end of it. It was like, well, it's a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> thought you were going to say great now. Uh, yeah. It was just really fascinating <laughs> yeah. to see that, like, how some other people do things, you know? But not that this is all wrong and terrible either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, uh, I think that's part of pity also mm. is this self-defamation that is so, runs so rampant in our, in our culture right now. We are terrible. Everything is terrible. No, it's not. I've been places mm. where things are terrible. Right. When I was in the Marines. This is not terrible. There's challenges and there's problems. And there are some terrible things. But um, just this, all this, it's a self-pity too. It's kind of like this, it's an arrogance that looks like the opposite. So when we want to show compassion suffer with somebody and help them through genuinely want to help them with their suffering right the way to do that is get on their level with them sit you know empathy sit with the suffering with them you can even do that in a way that doesn't require a ton of emotion Um, i tend to kind of because i'm very empathic type person i'm also a therapist which (laughs) makes me a therapist interesting Uh, i'm doing a lot of trauma therapy lately too which makes that interesting but i use that Right. I, I try to use it to help connect with the with the patient. Um, so I I just think that this is one of the most damaging ones is pity. My old Zen teacher would come in and if he detected any of that, he'd be like, oh, what are you going to rescue everybody now? Like in front of everybody. Like you're not getting away with this one publicly. <laughs> you're not right. getting away with it. Oh, so you're going to rescue everybody now. That's what you're going to do, right? Ooh. I'm like, oh, deflated. <laughs> now I'm in my feelings. I got to go sit on the cushion and deal with the feeling and but what is feeling wait why am i feeling all beat up over that statement he's right yeah so who is feeling all beat up over that it's that same one that wants to be arrogant that thinks that you know i need to rescue to be enough right Right. so if i can get on that level if i can even in a visualization type of way get below somebody and help push them up i think one of the things one of the gifts of recovery is that if you're in recovery there's a very high chance that you've been to the hell realm. Mm. I have. I've been in hell. I have no problem saying that a bunch of times. I don't, I'm sure it can get worse. There's always a trap door that goes down further, but that, I don't know. That would be astonishing, right? So once we've been to hell and gotten ourselves out of it with the help of others and principles and a program and practices, now we can more freely navigate back down to hell with others and help them out of hell with them right not above them yeah I, pity is one i've been working with for a while here uh, dalai lama talks about it too hmm. um, it's a big thing in buddhism that i see is something to look at and try to rid ourselves of Have you found that listening to the Recovery Sort of podcast has helped you in your day-to-day journey? Please share the message of compassion and well-being with the loved ones in your life. Connect with us more at recoverysortof.com, Facebook, Instagram, threads, YouTube, and other social media spaces. And have a great week.